Hey listeners, it's Kelly. Today's RCB Clips episode is very special. Listen in to find out why. Welcome to the November 2022 episode of RCB Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly, a member of the Resource Center staff, and in today's episode, I'll be talking with Renee and Chris about the first-time RCB implementations this year. Chris, Renee, hey, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for having us. Nice to be back in the office. It is good to be back in the office because we've all been traveling around the U.S., taking a look at RCB implementations in various places. I like to say we were from Maine to California, pretty much covered the whole U.S., it feels like, for our election day travels. But today, let's talk about new implementations. So what are some of the things that election administrators should pay attention to or consider when implementing RCB for the first time? One of the things I've noticed across the board seems to be the importance of voter education. Not a whole lot changes outside of your normal processes when it comes to administering an election, when it comes to ranked choice voting besides tabulation and obviously some ballot design stuff. But the one key thing I've seen across successful implementations would have to be voter education. It's uh, letting voters know what's going on, how the process is going to be different in this election, and what they should expect when, uh, you know, expecting results on election night, or what to expect when they see a different ballot style show up at their, at their home or um, when they go into the polling site. That seems to be the key thing there, I, I feel like, is informing the voter of what's going to happen. Yeah, Renee, that's what I've seen as well as just the most obvious thing is you need to get voters ready for this transition to ranked choice voting. I'll say on the technical implementation side, which you mentioned a bit, the big things we've seen are one, election administrators need to make sure that they have voting systems that can do ranked choice voting, that can design a ranked choice voting ballot and count those ballots accurately. So in short, at this point, voting system vendors, the people who are building the scanners and the software that's used to design elections, to run elections, they all have some amount of ranked choice voting capability, but that does vary by vendor. So making sure as an administrator, when you're entering an implementation, when you're looking at an adoption, understanding what your vendor can do and what gaps you may need to fill by like finding third-party counting software or, or something along those lines, that is you know, such an important first step to an implementation. And within that, you know, designing a usable ballot, making sure it's clear for voters how they're supposed to rank candidates, how to use the ballot effectively and accurately. The other things that come up are, again, downstream of your voting systems. How are you going to run the round-by-round count? What software are you going to use? What is your process? How transparent are you going to be? Are you going to produce round-by-round results on election night? And thereafter, as you count more ballots, are you going to wait until every ballot is in? We've seen jurisdictions make different decisions there. Those are the big things I would say other things to keep in mind are make sure when you publish results, they're in a usable format that voters can easily understand who won and how they won, how the round-by-round count went. This varies by jurisdiction is thinking about your audits and your recounts. If you run post-election audits, making sure you update your processes to account for the fact that voters are ranking candidates now instead of just voting for one. If and when you face a recount, hopefully that is later and not sooner but making sure you, again, have efficient processes for hand counting. Ranked choice ballots, if you have to do a hand recount, if you have to do a voting systems recount, it's really honestly very straightforward. 
like Renee said, your processes will remain almost identical. If you were running a ranked choice voting machine-based recount, if you're just rescanning all the ballots, then if you were like running a, any sort of recount. So those are the things that we've seen. I mean, those are obviously important to consider your first time around. They're important to continue updating and improving every time you implement as well. Great. I, th- I think one of the key things that always sticks out to me is the success of an implementation depends so much on communication, whether that is communication with your voters, communication with your staff, with your poll workers. You know, I think that can make all the difference and make all these other things fall in place after that. So now that we have talked about what administrators need to think about, let's talk about the actual locations that had first-time RCV implementations this year. Who implemented RCV for the first time? There were two cities in California that implemented for the first time this year. One was Albany, California. They adopted it for general elections. There was a ballot measure there that passed in 2020, and they adopted proportional ranked choice voting. They're in Alameda County, California, which ran the election for Albany and actually already runs elections for Berkeley and Oakland and San Leandro. They're ranked choice voting elections. I would say of the new implementations this fall, that was like the easiest lift. You know, the county already had pretty much everything in place that they needed to run ranked choice voting. They just added one more city to their list. Palm Desert, California also adopted ranked choice voting, where Albany adopted it by ballot measure. Voters voted on it and approved it in Albany. In Palm Desert, it was a California Voting Rights Act settlement that brought ranked choice voting to the city. So what that means is Palm Desert was threatened with a lawsuit under the California Voting Rights Act. So there's the Federal Voting Rights Act, which people are probably more familiar with. And then there's some states that have a specific state voting rights act. California is one of those states. And so cities and counties in the state can be sued for violating the provisions of the California Voting Rights Act which are slightly different and slightly more strict, actually, than the federal voting rights act. So Palm Desert was threatened with a lawsuit. And in order to settle that lawsuit, they adopted ranked choice voting. They adopted a unique version of it. So what they did is they drew two districts. They drew one district downtown, and then they drew one district around the rest of that. So people will sort of think of this as like a donut map. There's a little hole in the middle with a donut surrounding it. That central district in the middle of the city, it's an opportunity to elect district for the Latino community. So Latino voters who are a minority in the city of Palm Desert, they're at the center of this Voting Rights Act case, are concentrated in that downtown district. And so that's the district where Latino voters are most likely to be able to elect their candidate of choice, the person they most want to represent them on the city council. Then there's this larger district that elects two candidates every two years. and it uses proportional ranked choice voting. So the central district, the downtown district uses single winner ranked choice voting to elect one person. This big donut district uses proportional ranked choice voting to elect two people every two years, four total, but two people every two years. So those are the places that implemented for the first time in California. I'll be speaking about Alaska's implementation, which was a statewide implementation of ranked choice voting. The interesting thing with it was that they had planned on rolling out ranked choice voting in the general. But with the death of Don Young earlier this year, they actually had to conduct their first ranked choice voting election in August at the same time with their primary. So they had a special general election in August that they ran concurrent and on the same ballot as the August primary uh, this year. Yeah, the other interesting thing about Alaska is, like Albany, they adopted ranked choice voting as a ballot measure. 
in, again, 2020, voters got the chance to vote on Ballot Measure 2 in Alaska. And what Ballot Measure 2 did, it has three big prongs. One is a campaign finance law that requires greater disclosure of funding that candidates receive just to increase transparency, bring some sunlight to the political, like the money in politics in Alaska. The other two parts work together, and those parts are a blanket primary and ranked choice voting. So the first part, the primary, most people are used to a primary where you go vote in the Democratic primary or the Republican primary. In Alaska, they've adopted what's known as a blanket primary, sometimes called an open primary, but I find that a little misleading because people mean very different things when they say open primary. Sometimes they mean any voter can vote in the Republican primary, any voter can vote in the Democratic primary. But Alaska's primary is every candidate is running against every other candidate. Democrats versus Democrats versus Republicans versus the Alaska Independence Party versus Libertarians, all on one ballot. Every voter gets the same ballot. So the way that worked in this special that Renee mentioned is there were 48 candidates who ran for nomination to fill Don Young's seat. To get out of that primary, people had to be one of the first top four candidates. Alaska called it a pick one primary. Every voter got one vote. They could pick one candidate and the four highest vote getters made it out. Then to actually decide between those four, they use ranked choice voting, which makes sense. You have four candidates. You can run a few rounds of counting and determine who has a majority. So like Renee said, you know, surprisingly had to implement that a little earlier than planned with John Young's passing. And then the state, of course, used ranked choice voting in the general for all their elections. They used it for governor, they used it for U.S. Senate, for U.S. House, and for state legislature. So they used it in about just over 40 contests were using ranked choice voting in Alaska this fall. So we're still waiting on final results. They'll actually be processed in two days, the day before Thanksgiving. We're recording this on Monday, November 21st. So that will be a very fun day for many of us, I'm sure. But yeah, that's what happened in Alaska. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the results. You know, we've been getting updates on ballots left to be counted and that kind of thing. I just wanted to point out that one thing Alaska did really well is they used the resources they had in the state to educate their voters. Alaska has some really interesting geographical challenges and has a lot of area to cover, even though they have, you know, a smaller population. They have to do some things differently, but they were really able to activate different kinds of groups to help them educate voters. I know they had community groups that helped with um, the voter education. They had the advocates who actually helped get the Proposition 2 passed helped with that. They had, you know, went to events and they had TV ads and they had social media. So there were lots of different prongs and different ways of communicating that helped Alaskan voters understand and learn how this was going to work. And it paid off because most Alaskan voters find ranked choice voting to be very simple or simple and easy to understand. It was something like 94% of voters there, according to some polling that they did, actually received some type of education about ranked choice voting. That's a pretty impressive number of people to say that. All right. So we've talked about the ones that actually did implement this year, but I think there were a few others that passed ranked choice voting, but didn't need to use it for this election cycle. Can you talk a little bit about that and help us understand you know, who they are and what happened with that in the next election cycle? Yeah, I'll cover this really briefly. 
they didn't use ranked choice voting, so we don't have a ton to learn from them yet. But there's four places that have adopted ranked choice voting now in the last few years, but just haven't had enough candidates to use it, essentially. Westbrook, Maine would have had their first ranked choice voting election this fall, but they didn't have enough candidates to require ranked choice voting. They only had one or two candidates in each of the races. Eureka, California had the same thing. There's a bit more to talk about there with voting systems that we can get into if people are interested, but they also just didn't have enough candidates to need ranked choice voting. And then two cities in Colorado, Boulder and Carbondale. Carbondale has had enough candidates to need a ranked ballot, but every time that's happened, someone has won with a majority in the first round. So they've never actually had to run the round by round count. So (laughs) that's why in my book, they've not yet fully run a ranked choice voting election. The election administrators may disagree. They had to design ballots <laughs> and like get ready. But ultimately, someone won with a majority on the first round. So those are the four places that have like adopted it recently, but just haven't yet had to actually run a ranked voting election from A to C. So Chris, you and I spent some time in Palm Desert on election day. We were observing some of the things going on. We talked to some voters. We talked to election administrators. What did we hear? What were they saying? And, and you know, what, what did we think about that? First of all, it was just great to be on the ground and to get more firsthand experience of ranked choice voting elections, especially the last couple of years. We've been stuck at home. There's a pandemic. I, in particular, I think was being really cautious and didn't want to like get on planes and get sick trying to go observe elections. So this was our first time since 2019 actually being in a jurisdiction and seeing how their elections were working. And so what we heard from the election administrators in Palm Desert and in Riverside County, which is the county that actually runs Palm Desert's elections for it, was one, we heard that the county folks were like, this was less hard than I thought it would be. Like, there's obviously some change management you need to prepare. There's stuff you need to do that's new for ranked choice voting. But the folks in Riverside County were, I think, pleasantly surprised at how it was not as hard as they were afraid uh, it might be which was refreshing to hear. We spoke with Anthony Mejia, the city clerk in Palm Desert, who he wasn't running the technical like voting system side, but he was in charge of the voter education effort, which Palm Desert did in collaboration with Democracy Rising, which is another 501c3 organization that focuses on voter education, which Renee highlighted earlier. He said that overall, he thought it went really well. Anthony was really happy with how everything went. The thing that he found hardest that I think is an important lesson for us and for people in the ranked choice voting space is that he found really wrapping his head around proportional ranked choice voting a little challenging. I think there's like three or four levels of knowledge you can have about it. You can have like baseline knowledge of it's a proportional representation voting system. It's supposed to provide representation to majority groups and also to minority groups. That's why it was adopted in Palm Desert to help the Latino community get more representation on the city council. Then you can get deeper and talk about the round by round count and how votes transfer. Then you can get another level deeper and talk about how you determine the share of votes a candidate needs to get the threshold of election. You can also talk about what's known as surplus votes, which is how if a candidate gets more votes than they need, what happens to those votes? Those votes, that candidate doesn't need them to stay a winner. They have more than they need. They have surplus votes. So part of their vote can go to another candidate that a voter ranked. But how do you explain that? How do you determine that? That's a pretty sophisticated process. So really wrapping your heads around that, it takes time. We have materials that explain it, but I think we can get more materials that really dive in and really pick it apart for people. And I would say to anyone listening, in my experience, most voters aren't digging in on that. 
they're not digging in on that sort of thing in single winner ranked choice voting, and they're not doing it on proportional ranked choice voting. There's still like five or 10% of voters who are like, but tell me everything. And so having materials that will help them and making sure that elected officials, you know, people on the city council, your city clerk, feel comfortable talking about those things and have videos, have handouts that explain that sort of stuff is always really, really helpful. Yeah, I definitely agree. And maybe this is a good time to, to talk about you know, where we are working on some materials like that, that are, you know, generally explain things like proportional representation and single winner and how to mark a ballot and some other individual pieces of the side of election administration. So stay tuned. That's probably coming in early 23. We're excited about that because it'll be um, a really cool branded item that you can, you can use and share. So through all of this, one of the reasons that we follow elections, observe elections, show up on election day is to learn from those experiences. What are some lessons learned or some things that, you know, maybe could go better or that could be tweaked a little bit to be a smoother process in the next election cycle where they use RCV in any given jurisdiction? A lot of the experiences with first-time implementation that I have right now are with Alaska. I kind of uh, really picked their brain after the primary. Haven't had a chance with the general yet because it's still kind of ongoing. But from the primary election, um, I noticed they had some unique challenges, especially with the size of their state and making sure that all results were centrally tabulated. And it's just amazing how big Alaska is and the fact that they had difficulty getting some polling sites to report in on time just due to the amount of size and remoteness of some of those polling sites. However, one thing that they uh, they did highlight that they felt procedurally, everything was fine. They liked the processes that they came up with that worked for them, and they planned on continuing using those same processes over into the general, which was great. One thing that they did highlight that they kind of wanted to adjust was that they spent a lot of time focusing on voter education, right? But they spent a lot of time of that focusing on tabulation. They said with the general, they'd like to kind of adjust that focus to focus more on filling in the ballot rather than how it's tabulated when they receive the results. Beyond that, voters, for the most part, were not confused by the process, well-received by their voters. Another thing that I found interesting from Alaska was that they were able to, um, you know, when people would go to the poll sites to vote, some of the poll workers were informed about how ranked choice voting worked, and they could help their voters understand the process there. They said that was a surprising takeaway and that it's something they're going to focus on is making sure that their poll workers are informed and educated on uh, RCV and that they can then instruct voters on how to cast their ballot properly. I would just say briefly, like we heard similar things in Palm Desert, at least as a, for poll workers. So Kelly and I stopped by every voting center in Palm Desert. There were three of them that we stopped by on election day. And we talked to poll workers in each one when they had the time we didn't want to get in people's way. But what we heard was that they actually didn't get a ton of training on how ranked choice voting works. We know that voters show up with questions about ranked choice voting on election day. Palm Desert did a great job of voter education, but this was a forum municipal election during a statewide election, which means it just falls under the radar for the vast majority of people. People who are really plugged in are going to hear about ranked choice voting and this new thing, but most voters, that's not their focus. And Again, I think Palm Desert and Democracy Rising did a really good job with voter education, but there's always going to be people on election day who show up with questions. And I think it would have helped for the poll workers in Palm Desert to get a little bit more hands-on training with ranked choice voting. They got materials, 
they had looked through materials from Palm Desert on how ranchers setting works, but I think they could have benefited from a little bit more training on that. I think it might have been helpful to have maybe some more picture-based instructions. I've noticed on several different ballots we've looked at over the cycle, the ones that seem the clearest to me are the ones that show this is how you correctly mark your ballot, maybe you know, show a couple of examples of how a ballot might be incorrectly marked, it would result in an overvote, you know, making it as accessible as possible to the most number of people using pictures really seems to, to take that up a notch. I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe some more signs or posters or communication in that way um, would be helpful for me as a voter. So out of that, and we've kind of hit on this a little bit already, but are there any specific best practices that you would like to lift up? You know, things that happened in the field that really helped it to go smoothly. One thing I really liked that I saw Riverside County doing for Palm Desert was they produced round-by-round results for the ranked choice voting election every time they updated their election results generally. So if Riverside County was releasing ballot totals in any way, they also ran the round-by-round count and produced new ones based on that new set of ballot totals. I think that practice just makes a lot of sense. It helps voters acclimate to ranked choice voting. You know, they see plurality traditional election results alongside ranked choice voting. And they're like, oh, you know, this, this makes sense. It helps them understand how ranked choice voting works. It gives them more chances to, to look at the results and get used to it. And just provides that level of transparency that we get with non-ranked choice voting elections. And I say that because other jurisdictions, I think for good reason, wait until every single ballot is in before they release round-by-round results. Election administrators, in my experience, get nervous to run those round-by-round results because they're newer, because they don't know how comfortable voters are with that sort of information. I think they're a little worried that candidates who get eliminated are going to call and be mad, and they don't want to have to deal with that. And like, I understand that impulse. But I think it's better to answer those questions because you're going to get questions and concerns when your results come out no matter what. I think the more you produce that information early, the more chances you have to have those conversations and educate voters about what's happening. I think that's an important one to raise up. We have this conversation with people a lot about, you know, what is the best way to do this? And I agree, election administrators are trying to minimize the calls to the office, so to speak. But I do think it's helpful to go ahead and run those round by rounds because then that signifies this is a different and new process. So anything else missed that we haven't talked about with first-time implementations that you can think of? We've actually covered quite a bit here, and and, and I like to hear these different things going on and and see what a great job people are doing across the U.S. implementing ranked choice voting. I just would like to build off of uh, both your points there, especially with results reporting. I think that's kind of the uh, trickiest part about ranked choice voting is because you need to come up with a timeline that makes sense. For your voters, but you also have to educate them to un- let them understand that until everything is certified, until everything is counted, the results might change a little bit. Your unofficial results might change based off of what's coming in. However, um, you know, I, I'm from a vote by mail state, so typically results on election night, even though we're still counting, typically, you know, stay consistent from that point on. That doesn't mean that it won't change, but I mean, it, you know, you can. I know we talked a lot about, especially I talked a lot about voter education, making sure people were informed. One interesting takeaway from Alaska is that they actually took their um, testing and certification board 
and they showed them the process of ranked choice voting. They showed them how it's tabulated, how um, ballots are uh, you know cast, and how everything is counted and ranked. I thought that was a very interesting takeaway because they took the extra step of making sure the governing body that oversees kind of the election understands the process. I think that's also a big takeaway is that you need to make sure your canvassing board or your certification board understands what's going on and that they can explain why a race went a certain way or why they certified something a certain way. Yeah. Actually, two more things on Alaska. Because I, I, I think a lot of things went really well this, this cycle, so it's exciting to lift these things up. One is that Alaska's voter education in particular was great because they made sure that messaging was uniform coming from the state. Every state agency that was doing voter education was using the same terminology. They talked about the pick one primary for the primary. They talked about ranked choice voting using the same words. And they made sure uh, with community partners that community organizations were using the same messaging as well. So getting that consistency top to bottom within the state, across the state, across organizations, government partners and non-government organizations, it's a really valuable thing because voters are receiving the same message again and again and again, and it helps that education penetrate and get farther in the state. The other thing I like that they do, I do wish they would release round-by-round results earlier. Alaska waits until every single ballot is in. They have a 15-day post-election ballot receipt timeline. And I understand why they want every single voter's vote to count. They want their military and overseas voters, whose ballots can take a very long time to arrive. They want to enfranchise all of those voters, their veterans and their military overseas voters. So, you know, I understand. That being said, one thing I really like that I'm excited to see them do on Wednesday is they have a really transparent way of actually producing the round-by-round results. They're going to do a live stream in coordination with one of the uh, public radio stations in the state showing the computer actually processing all the data. It's not the most exciting process in the world, but what's exciting to me is that transparency, the fact that they're showing people behind the scenes how we're getting these new types of results. And I think that transparency helps a lot too with getting people buy and getting people to trust the election results. Absolutely. So last question, describe new RCB implementations in three words or less. Challenging, but rewarding. Uh, I'm going to steal a phrase from Rosemary. Nobody died. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that might be my favorite. I don't usually answer this question, but I feel like I need to since I was part of the team that went out on election day. So communication, transparency, and that's it. (laughs) We did say three words or less, right? (laughs) As the communications director, I always like for good communications to happen. Thank you guys so much. I hope you're getting rested up from the travel. I know several of us are getting ready to kick off and travel again to do some different conferences and to uh, meet with some folks in Alaska. I look forward to hopefully sharing all that information with you when we get back. Thanks, Kelly. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia useful tidbit or something we thought was just cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Karen Brinson-Bell with this month's final round. Did you know this month marks the fifth anniversary of RCV Clips? The show started in November 2017 with an episode about our first report, 
the RCV Model Implementation Plan. Now RCV Clips is about to hit 50 published episodes. December will be the 50th. That makes for over 1,000 total minutes on ranked choice voting and election administration with input from nearly 40 different guests across the country and over 8,000 downloads total. This exciting anniversary makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today at our November 2022 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates, and take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website or by texting Donate RCV, all caps and all one word, to 51555. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation questions at donate at rcvresources.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources and on Facebook and LinkedIn at the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Pottington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly Sechrist on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. 